Hold. What? Explain your sneeze. I'm sorry? Do you have allergies? No. Is there too much pepper on your salad? I don't put pepper on salads. I've heard enough. Sit over there. Come on, I don't want to sit by myself. That's what Typhoid Mary said, and clearly her friends buckled. I have a really interesting interview coming up with Dr. Dan Wilson. Interesting to me because going into this, I thought it was going to be a hardcore discussion about COVID-19 mask science. And what it really turned into maybe is just a discussion of how far the science cow has left the barn. I would say that when it comes to mask use, you know, there are general principles that we can pull from the literature. And we know from a laboratory setting that face masks reduce the number of infectious viral particles that escape from the nose and mouth into the environment. That is perfectly logical. I have to interject. I know you're making sure, a closing sure. remark, but I kind of nailed that. I mean, who cares? That doesn't just, we get, and, and the fact that it gets repeated over and over again, like you just did with some kind of mantra mesmerizing thing, it's science bullshit. It doesn't have anything to do with answering the question, am I safer wearing a mask? It doesn't answer that because it doesn't relate to how it works with other humans. It's just, it's science bullshit. Well, I would disagree. I think it's a really important part of the puzzle. You know, you, like we said at the beginning, it's important to see whether or not something works in a lab setting. And that's usually the first thing that scientists do before going and testing it further with more But no one had any people. doubt whether it would work. It's home ice. No one had any doubt that if I put, if I do that, it, it does the same thing. If I cover my mouth when I cough, stuff doesn't come out. To elevate it to this level of advanced, refined science, to say that if you cover somebody's mouth, they, stuff doesn't come out of it when they sneeze, is a total head fake bullshit way of kind of wrapping all this nonsense in science. The, the conclusion is it was inconclusive. The conclusion is at last year's Super Bowl when the Chiefs won, no one had to wear a mask because no one was told to wear a mask because that's what the best science said. And there hasn't been a wave of science that would change that. Welcome to Skeptico, where we explore controversial science and spirituality with leading researchers, thinkers, and their critics. Boy, oh boy, I have a good one today. I've really been looking forward to this. Dr. Dan Wilson, Debunk the Funk with Dr. Wilson is his YouTube channel. He is joining us today to have a COVID-19 mask science throwdown, knockdown, drag out. Dan is a PhD in molecular biology from Carnegie Mellon translate as he's really, really smart. I don't know about that. But. Oh, you, you will find that he is really just smart. Means, just and, means I took a particular path and spent a lot of time doing it. So, no, you know, I mean, let's, let's be, you know, for real, because it is important. We're going to have a scientific discussion. One of the things, you know, you kind of pride yourself on, which is great is being a science you know, you're a science professional, but you're also a fan of science and advocate for science. You're interested in debunking to the extent that you want to get to the bottom of what's real and what isn't real. And 
hey, that's where I'm at too. And even though we might come to different conclusions, we, we share that, which I think is what it's really all about. Yeah. So I'm showing here your, uh, your YouTube channel. And as folks can see, you've done a lot of videos on COVID-19. Uh, a lot of people on there we're going to talk about in a minute. But why don't we start by just you know, kind of the basics. Tell us a little bit more about your background, about share as much as you want about what you do, but in particular, why you created this YouTube channel and why you felt the need to publish so many videos on COVID-19. Yeah, so um, as you said, I earned my PhD from Carnegie Mellon University. Um, I earned it just last year, actually. And, uh, you know, uh, I always have been interested in um, skeptical topics such as pseudoscience, paranormal, uh, conspiracy theories, all that kind of things. I've been interested in it uh, from a very young age. And so uh, it's always been something I would read about, um, you know, watch YouTube videos about. Uh, and I kind of had uh, my own little research forays into all these different topics. Um, and so when I was getting to, towards the end of my PhD, I thought, you know, what do I really want to do with my degree? Uh, do I really want to uh, sit at a lab bench and try to feel like I'm being, uh, try to really feel like I'm contributing to society um, by doing these really niche uh, special projects that it's hard to see the grander uh, grander benefits from. And maybe you want to interject a little bit on your dissertation, which I did not understand at all, but will give people a sense for how much we don't know about what you know and do kind of on a daily sure. basis. Sure. Yeah. So for my uh, PhD work, I investigated how uh, cells build the, a little nanomachine in the, uh, called ribosomes. So if you remember from biology class, um, proteins get made by ribosomes. Uh, but ribosomes themselves are made up of protein and RNA, and they're actually really complicated structures, and the cell has to build them. So uh, it has mechanisms to do that, which are uh, very, um, you can <laughs> spend obviously a whole dissertation on it and only really focus on one protein out of hundreds involved in the process of making ribosomes. And so that's what I did. I focused on how the role that two particular proteins have in actually building the ribosome. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's basic biology. It's stuff that contributes to our general understanding of how the molecular world works. And the hope is that one day that basic knowledge can help contribute to uh, a medication or some kind of understanding for a treatment for a disease. Um, but, you know, when I'm working at a, a to further the point I started talking about just a little bit ago, it's hard to see, you know, 10, 20 years, 10, 20 or so, even more years down the line and say, the work I'm doing now is definitely gonna have an impact later. It's, it's definitely important, but it takes a certain personality to really um, be, okay, be okay with just that kind of work, you know? Uh, so not everyone is fulfilled by um, that kind of, hope of distant gratification. Even though you know your work is important, it, it can still be 
um, hard to get all the fulfillment you want out of that, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, so, and, and that's what kind of led you to do more of kind of a publicly relatable kind of YouTube channel. Yeah. So I, I always was interested in science communication. It's something I explored during my PhD. Um, and I, that's where I really, uh, got fulfillment is by communicating science to people, whether it's teaching in a classroom or, um, you know, understanding how people misunderstand science and trying to help them understand it. Um, that was where I got a lot of enjoyment. And so I just decided towards the end of my PhD, why don't I just try putting myself out there? Why don't I just do this thing I've always really wanted to do and just, just start a YouTube channel just for fun um, and see where it goes. And so that's really what motivated um, me to start uh, my YouTube channel, there were other circumstances in my life that made me decide, okay, now's the time I want to actually try to do this thing I've always thought about. But that was the general reasoning behind it. Um, and so it started out uh, just with anti-vaxxers because that's kind of where my expertise fit, um, you know, in molecular biology, uh, understanding vaccines and immunology, that's kind of in the same umbrella as molecular biology. So that's where I focused. It's already, it's what I already knew a lot about um, in terms of like what the claims that people make and the, the relevant information um, regarding those claims. So I started there and then the pandemic happened. And so I kind of I started to focus more and more on COVID things week by week um, until I was just flooded with, you know, all of these different things that people were saying. And, you know, the COVID, the COVID pandemic has affected all of our lives one way or another. Um, whether the disease has affected us or someone we know or um, any of the precautions that we now take have changed our lives in any ways, our jobs, et cetera. So it's important to really understand what the science is about COVID and, you know, seeing all of these things that I was seeing over the past few months really made me think that I should focus on COVID related topics on my channel. So that's what I've been doing. Right on to that. This is perfect. Just cool. right up my alley. So let me, uh, let me grab control this a little bit, but you take it back whenever you want. I sure, sure. got one of my favorite high school students. It's very close to me to put together some slides for me. So we're going to use those slides. And what we decided to do inside of a science discussion that we're going to have very science-based because I think I like you I have a passion for science, you know, a little bit of background on me. I was a PhD student in artificial intelligence at the University of Arizona before I decided, hey man, I got to follow the money. I knew AI, AI was taking off, started a company, but I always had this passion for science and spirituality. It led me to podcasting. It led me to writing a book, Why Science is Wrong About Almost Everything, kind of a cheeky title that gets at science's <laughs> complete dropping the ball of consciousness and misunderstanding of really quantum physics implications for the observer effect and what that means for consciousness and what that means for scientific materialism. And in the process of interviewing some pretty misinformed and ill-informed scientists, I became somewhat of a science 
advocate watchdog, kind of in the same way that you are only kind of from a different perspective. So this is an opportunity today. We decided to kind of focus in on one thing and this topic of whether or not do masks work. And I have to say, uh, I have to give uh, credit here because I was really prompted to do this by my friend, Rick Archer <laughs> from Buddha at the Gas Pump. There's Rick's picture from when he was on my show. And Rick is just a fantastic uh, communicator and contributor. And, you know, his Buddha at the Gas Pump show is phenomenally important. But at the same time, Rick is kind of one of these just doesn't understand science and just kind of falls for every new world order science trap that he can lay his hands on. At least that's my take of it. But here's where I wanted to start, because to me, this is like one of the most important issues we could possibly talk about related to this. And this is the topic of science and free speech. You know, you were nice enough to fill out this hokey little uh, questionnaire that I do about, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> you did it. You're very nice about doing that. You seem like a very open guy and I really appreciate that. And you know, one of the things, one of the questions on there is conspiracy theory and are conspiracies dangerous? And you, like most people said, yeah, I think sometimes conspiracies are dangerous. And I was wondering, you know, I looked through some of the people that you've um, very rightfully and fairly challenged in your YouTube channel, whether it be James Corbett or Del Bigtree, he's on there. Oh, yeah. um, mm -hmm. Who else? I don't know if you have Robert Kennedy Jr. on there. No, but I guess my... he's, yeah, so, sorry, go ahead. <clears throat> I was say he's probably coming up, right? Yeah, he's on my list. <laughs> <laughs> he's on your list. So yeah. are, are any of these, and, and so I'm going to be on the other side of your issue. Mm -hmm. Is anything I'm going to say dangerous? Should any of these people be banned? I mean, Del Bigtree's banned. He's banned. Mm -hmm. Robert Kennedy has been banned. Should anyone be banned for talking about this science? Oh, I mean, that's a little bit of a policy question, you know, that I don't think I have a final answer to. Um, it's whether or not someone should be banned for speaking about um, misinformation. You know, that's something that I would consider myself to have uneducated opinions on. I don't think about that day in and day out. Um, however, I will say that uh, there does come a point where spreading misinformation becomes harmful and you have to weigh whether or not it's worth it to let people who have these audiences of hundreds of thousands of people say things that their audience is going to believe, but will ultimately, you know, end up harming either themselves or people around them. Um, so it's an important question. Well, it's important because it's in our constitution. It's the first amendment. It's freedom of speech. I mean, who would decide, who would you have deciding Dan, whose talk, whose science should be banned and what science should not be banned? Who would decide that? Oh, well, according to the first amendment, not the government. Um, so, you know, but you just said, you just thought you thought it was okay. If somebody got you know, 200,000, 300,000 million followers, and they're spreading quote unquote misinformation, which 
like you're spreading. I, I would maintain at the end of the day that you're spreading this information. Okay. Rick and you would maintain that I'm spreading misinformation. We're both reporting on the same science, right? You sent me papers. I sent you papers back. Mm -hmm. Who would decide in that? Whether, where's the misinformation? Who would decide who's endangering, endangering the lives of thousands of people? Because if I'm right, then you're endangering the lives of thousands of people. If you're right, then I'm endangering the lives of thousands of people. So who decides? Well, ultimately, uh... If you're asking me who decides who gets banned, you know, again, that's a policy question. Uh, but if we're talking about who's right, that's a science question. And I think that's a lot more straightforward, at least for me to answer. Uh, well, and I don't, I don't necessarily believe that any, everybody should get banned for spreading misinformation. Um, uh, I just said that you do have to, at some point, weigh the fact that you know, misinformation can be harmful in making right. decisions. Right. And, and I'm just saying, I'm not going to belabor this point, but I'm saying that's why the First Amendment is the First Amendment, is you, you, you just don't want to introduce that. And particularly from science, I find it troubling that you would even go down that path. I mean, this is the extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof nonsense. There's no such thing in science as extraordinary claims or extraordinary proof. Science is about removing our biases so that, so that we know we are prejudiced. We know we have bias one way or another. We'll remove those so that no meta-knowledge of what's extraordinary comes into play. And the same thing here. I, I mean, I, I expected Rick to say, yeah, ban them, ban them, ban them. But You've been through the PhD program. I didn't expect you to, to jump on board that anyone who's having a scientific discussion, they should somehow, that their information should be deemed as quote unquote misinformation and it should be removed from the, the, the public sphere, which is what it is. Because when it's removed from YouTube and Facebook and Twitter all at the same time, I mean, that's like, you know, in the olden days, removing it from all the newspapers and all the TV channels. Well, I want to clarify again, I didn't say that uh, people should be banned for uh, misinformation. Uh, I, I think it's a policy question and that is not for me to decide. And that's why I think that I personally have uneducated opinions. I'm not a policy expert. I don't know who would make that decision. I don't know how you would execute such a policy. You know, it's, right now it's up to these private social media companies to make those decisions. And we can agree or disagree on their decisions, but um, you know, I don't think that I don't necessarily think that people should be banned for uh, spreading misinformation. I want to make that clear. However, like as, again, like I said, there does come a point where you have to start weighing each individual decision. How exactly how harmful is this? How much traction is it picking up? How much actual measurable harm is it causing? So I think those are things to consider, but again, I am not one to make final decisions on that. Okay, <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll leave that. We'll leave that be for now. I, I, I would just say the same thing over and over again, but that's not going to help <laughs> us any. Uh, you know what, right. but I would go to kind of this other issue because you mentioned a couple times policy in what you were saying. And mm -hmm. one of the things I think is interesting about this discussion is the interface between science and public health policy. You know, I mean, I don't care, Dan, if you wear a mask. 
I don't care if anyone wears a mask. If they feel safe wearing a mask for psychological reasons or for you know very good reasons because they're around someone who has COVID-19, I don't care. What I care about is the science policymaking interface, how public policy is made and how science informs that public health policy. So when we're talking here, and we're gonna talk about masks, whether masks, masks work, we're not talking about it from a personal level, right? We're talking about from how science should interface with public health policy. And I guess what that stirred that up for me is when you said that's a policy issue, that's a policy issue in regarding quote unquote misinformation. Well, I'd say this whole discussion we're having is about policy issue. Because otherwise, sure. I don't care if you want to sit there in Pittsburgh and wear a mask or not wear a mask. Are we in sync on that? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Okay. And, and you know, I think, uh, I think the, the difference right away that I'll point out with the policy decision around you know, mask wearing and the policy decision around who gets banned from social media, you know, in order to decide who gets banned from social media, like I said earlier, when you're weighing these things, you, you know, I don't know how policymakers would do it. Again, it's not my area of expertise. Maybe they weigh how harmful certain misinformation is. Maybe they measure it somehow and decide that way uh, what the policy should be. You know, that might be a way to approach it. But a way to approach mask wearing is what's the science? What can we measure? What does mask wearing actually do or not do for somebody? And then, thus, what should the policy be? So um, in terms of mask wearing, you know, <clears throat> we have a lot of data about that and I'm sure we'll discuss all of it. But that to me personally is the difference between those two topics. Great, and we certainly should dive into the data because we can kind of down, dancing around it a little bit. So you sent me some research, I sent you some research. The mm -hmm. research you sent me is partially listed here in a way that no one can read. And I want to let people know that I'm open to going to any research that you sent me, but we can't really get to all of it. It's just kind of practically impossible. Sure. But the first thing I want to focus on is this research on whether masks filter stuff out. You sent me a bunch of research on this. Mm -hmm. And I get that some people are hung up on this issue, but I have to say right from the beginning, this just smacks of science bullshit. It's the old distraction thing. I mean, does anyone really think that masks don't filter stuff that comes out of and goes into your mouth? This is like what we learned in kindergarten when your mom said, cover your face when you cough. So mm -hmm. the fact that this has kind of been front and center of the science for COVID-19 is really kind of, uh, one was first surprising to me. And then when I really thought about it, I was like, no, of course, this is bringing the topic onto your home ice, onto your home turf where you can win the war. Because what I think, and then I, I really want to let you have a chance at this, but what I think is really going on here is that this science is kind of asking you to make an incorrect inference. And that is that if in a laboratory setting, we can show that a mask 
prevents this stuff from coming out of your mouth when you sneeze or cough and prevents stuff from coming into your mouth. We want you to make the leap towards saying, well, then therefore mask wearing must help reduce my risk of contracting COVID-19. What do you think about me suggesting that that is an inference that we really shouldn't make from, for example, this research that we see right here? Yeah, so um, uh, you mind if I share my screen for a minute? No, please do. I guess I'll just um, start going into what you sent me. Uh, mostly stuff by uh, Dennis Rancourt, a guy who's kind of well-known in, um, uh, I guess, COVID-denying circles. Um, but, uh, you know, something he writes in his page that um, supposedly debunks masks is kind of summarizing what you're saying here is that we shouldn't make the assumption that uh, viruses are actually stopped uh, by masks. Is that is that a fair representation no. of what you're saying? Okay, no, can you, no, can that you explain isn't. it again I mean, for me it, again? It, Well, I will, and then I'll let you explain this because I wanna point out that this is completely valid and important what you're saying here. You're, because some people are claiming that masks don't work in the way that you're saying that they don't work here, that they don't block certain viruses or bacteria as well as they should. I'm making a very different uh, uh, proposition that I don't think you will disagree with, but I think is really at the center of this, and I'm surprised that Denny kind of goes down the wrong path. It's that, let's say I was to accept that, uh, you know, just like when mom said, cover your mouth when you cough, that that, that that works essentially to some degree in terms of stopping you from spreading this bad stuff that can make other people sick, right? Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is that if you prove that in a lab, that does not lead to the conclusion that wearing a mask leads should lead to a reduction in your chances of contracting COVID-19. It may, but it may not. And that's the okay. difference between laboratory work and clinical work. Clinical work is with humans. And in clinical work, we might, we might ask a whole bunch of different questions. How long are you wearing the mask? What kind of mask are you wearing? Um, how are you operating the mask, whether you're touching it or not? There's all these other questions that come in when we get a human involved, which would lead us to asking different questions, doing different experiments to determine whether or not the mask, which worked in the lab, works in real life. That was my point. I see, I see. So you you want to see the connection between the lab and the community or the lab and the clinic? Well, I, I'm suggesting, yes. You want and to see I'm those results carry over to real world situations? Absolutely, because I mean, as a scientist, particularly as a biologist, maybe you want to speak yeah. to this, uh, but you'd be kind of making my point. But we establish a lot of shit in the lab that doesn't mm -hmm. work in clinical trials. It oh, seems to work in the lab and we're like, wow, this should really be great. And then we put it in clinical trials with humans and it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, so I'm glad you said that. So yeah, I mean, there is, you're right. There is a stepwise process to this kind of thing. First, you wanna show that something works in a lab because it's easy to work in a lab. It takes not a lot of resources um, and you can tightly control and design an experiment pretty easily in a lab. Uh, so you wanna show that it works there first. And 
you know, we can go through the studies, but uh, there are several uh, that show that masks, of course, do work in the lab. They stop viral particles from going beyond the mask. The mask catches these viral particles that would otherwise be detected uh, in these experiments. Um, but there are also, uh, you know, of course, the next step after you get done with testing something in the lab is to say, does this work in humans? Does this work in real situations? So yeah, that's a fair thing to want. And, um, you know, there, that's, people have studied that. And there are some randomized controlled trials, clustered randomized controlled trials that demonstrate that masks do work in community settings. And they look at variables. And you're right, it's really complicated um, to study masks. And it's part of the reason why sometimes the literature can be hard to um, traverse. But uh, there are several studies that discuss all these nuances, so, such as when do, when do masks get implemented? Um, how compliant are people with the masks? Uh, were there other things that were controlled for in the experiment? And what you end up with is um, our experiments that all of them have some weakness. All of them have some weakness that the researchers can't control for because it's tough to test humans. Humans are terrible te test subjects to have. Um, but I think that if we dive into it, we'll see that uh, what the researchers have been able to find is that masks do reduce transmission um, when used properly. Okay, so we, we will be we will begin to dive into that. And I think, sure. you know, let me just say that in, I thought the research that you sent was very fair. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, as a matter of fact, I was kind of surprised that you sent it because it does kind of reveal how complicated and how uh, really up in the air this topic is. It is not clearly decided one way or another. And the way that I kind of played around with the idea was to say, to really look at the question, we need a time machine. And the time machine would go back to 2003 when we had a COVID virus that was very dangerous. It was called SARS. A lot of people were really worried about it. And we looked at whether mask wearing would be good because the mask wearing question, right? Like you alluded to, it's been around for a long time, right? And masks have been around a long time. And the idea that, you know, masks will prevent the spread of influenza or air transmitted diseases has been around for a long time. So they've looked at it. And as a matter of fact, it's kind of surprising that they keep finding over and over again that uh, masks do not work for the most part. You know, I mean, this is the old literature, 2009, 2010, uh, 2012. And mm -hmm. you, you, of course, can cite different research, but these are good research, unless you want to come in and say some of them aren't. But again, they're applying the same, the people who are looking at this are saying the same thing. Do we have a randomized control trial? Are we really uh, properly evaluating whether or not the end result is what we thought. We'd have laboratory tests of whether or not there was the virus or is somebody just self-reporting it. So there's all this research over time that kept coming back and telling us that masks surprisingly don't seem to be efficacious. And the reason we know that is because when we go in our time machine and when we go to SARS, there was no mask mandates. When we went to the swine flu in 2008, there were no mask mandates. When we go to the Super Bowl last year, when Kansas City won, and there's all the fans, 
and it was a big flu season, there were no mask mandates. And the reason it wasn't because everyone was asleep at the switch. So playing along with me, Dan, would you agree with that part that there was science prior to January 2020? And the conclusion of that science had been that masks weren't efficacious. Uh, I wouldn't agree with that, actually. Uh, there were there was plenty of research to say that I'd say overall the general message of the literature, especially prior to 2020, uh, when it comes to mask wearing was that, let's see, if I could sum it up, I think I would say mask wearing helps, but we don't know the full extent of it and it's hard to study. That's not what the CDC said. That wasn't the conclusion. I mean, even in the study you sent me, the first study, and we'll look at it in a minute, the opening line of the study is, hey, there's a lot of controversy about masks. Some really good studies say they don't work. Some say they do work. So, I mean, I don't think I'm exaggerating here. Even the CDC had come down and said, gee, we don't know. We don't quite understand why masks don't work. But at this time, we can't really recommend the widespread use of masks in these uh, situations. I mean, that was... That was the situation we were in. That's what we all lived. I mean, we all lived it and experienced it. Well, the, okay, we'll go into it for a little bit here. Um, I think that, um, let's see, uh, you bring up Dennis Rancourt's list uh, of studies on that page you just showed, I think, um, where he talks about the reasons why face masks, face masks uh, don't work. Um, so let me just go through, let's just pick the first paper in order that he brings up um, to say that masks uh, don't work. So this is a study he lists from uh, Japan. It's a randomized controlled trial of mask wearing in healthcare workers. And so they had uh, one group, they had two groups, one, one group wore face masks, one did not. They had, um, uh, you know, decent number of people, uh, 2,000, about two and a half thousand subjects. Uh, but out of all of these subjects, uh, there were only two colds that occurred, one in each group. Uh, and so the conclusion was basically a larger study is needed. Uh, now, this to me doesn't really say that masks don't work. I'm not sure why Dennis would include it in his list. Um, but Moving on to you know his his second study, which I think is has a little bit more substance because it's a systematic review, um, looking at mask wearing. Uh, right in the summary, it says you know there, and this is from 2010. It says there is some evidence to support the wearing of face mask respirators during illness to protect others, and public health emphasis on mask wearing during illness may help for, to reduce influenza virus transmission. There are fewer data to support use of masks or respirators to prevent becoming infected. And this is, again, in reference to influenza. Um, we go through the papers that the systematic review looked at. Um, and we start to see that, you know, the evidence, although, although they don't specifically say that uh, mask wearing is significantly, is this really significant uh, measure that everybody should take all the time in every, in every disease situation. My point is that the evidence is definitely leaning towards uh, 
the effectiveness of, of masks. And so, yeah, you can go through these studies here that this uh, meta-analysis goes over. They find randomized controlled trials that find, um, that find effectiveness in mask wearing among healthcare workers. They mentioned the Japan study and also mentioned that it's underpowered to detect any significance because only two people got sick. Um, and they also talk about a study that was generally inconclusive while also talking about uh, cross-sectional studies uh, or um, observational studies from the 1918 influenza in Boston that suggest that mas masks do work. So you go through these papers and you start to read what they're actually saying instead of, you know, just Dennis's kind of uh, picked out quotes. And you start to get this picture that mask wearing had a lot of precedence uh, even before the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, this one specifically, uh, a study in a community setting, uh, which pointed out that um, although they didn't really uh, observe much significance significant reduction of illness associated with mask wearing when they um, when they analyze the data to look for uh, the timing of the intervention. So within 36 hours of symptom onset, and again, this is dealing with influenza, not coronavirus, um, they did see a statistically significant reduction in laboratory confirmed influenza. So th they kind of start to bring in this nuance that you mentioned in the beginning, like, like when are people using it? How are they uh, handling it, you know, this doesn't measure how many times people touch their face with the mask, of course, but it starts to bring that nuance in and it finds support for uh, mask wearing. Uh, and you can continue to go through and find that it's pretty much false what uh, Rancourt is saying, um, that none of the studies showed a benefit in either healthcare workers or community members. That is false if you actually read these meta-analyses, um, it's, it's, not, it's not accurate. It's not a good representation of what the science actually said. Okay, I'll do your not a good representation of what the science says one better. So here's the first one that you sent me after the mm -hmm. mask one. And uh, anyone can read it there, peer reviewed. And it is a systematic review. Again, it's a meta-analysis, right? So maybe you wanna to explain to people what a meta-analysis is. So um, a meta-analysis is just when researchers basically look at a body of literature and try to come up with a summary based on the data that has been collected over many years by several researchers and published in several different papers. Uh, kind of a summary of lots of, of years of research is what a meta-analysis is. So here we have the results of that meta-analysis. And it says they started with all these potential relevant citations, which again speaks to the point we we're making about, you know, it's hard to do this kind of science. They do this complete breakdown of all these studies that they looked at. And they looked at the effectiveness of disinfecting and hygiene, of creating barriers, of combined, of all this stuff. And what they come to again and again, and this is in the study that you sent me, statistical significance was not attained. And they'll say that again. Uh, 
did not, the group did not reach statistical significance. So over and over again, there is no conclusive evidence. So I sent you the Rancor stuff. Denny is, I think, fantastic, but I don't like follow him. I go and read the research. Like one of the research studies that you sent me is this Hong Kong research. In the households involved in laboratory confirmed cases. Uh, it, it, actually, the one you sent me was a phone interview of people in Hong Kong. I mean, it, where there was never even a laboratory confirmed cases. They just said at the end, well, did you get really sick? It sounds like you had it. So we're going to we're going to stack it up on that side of it. So over and over again, my read of this data is it does not reach statistical significance. And again, you know, like you were putting down, or you were just making your point that Rancor had sent links to studies that didn't really support what he was saying. I would say you've done the same thing here in saying, here it is, Alex, here, my number one is that masks really work. And I say, well, who cares? We already knew that masks work. It's whether or not they're effective in help in reduce it. Because what we really care about is, is wearing a mask going to help me not get the COVID disease? So the only way we can do that is move to the clinical trials. And we'll move to the clinical trials. And again, again, they say there's no statistically significant result that suggests that you should wear a mask. And the reason that we know that is just observable, right? No one requires masks. They didn't require masks in the hospital. They didn't require masks in public places. All these things, mask mandates didn't happen until the, uh, 2020 in, in April. So the question that I think is just, I don't even know that it, it should be controversial between us, but it might be, is what is the science that propelled us to this new level of policy? So. I wouldn't say that it was new science that propelled us to uh, adopt the policy or, you know, encourage policies of mask mandates. It was just a changing situation uh, because, like I said before, you know, the general consensus in science before the COVID pandemic was that mask wearing helps and it shouldn't be the first thing we do, uh, you know consistently in these papers, they will say things like, you might see things like a uh, mask mandate should be um, a last resort. Uh, and that's- now Where does it show me, show me a paper that says that? Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, it's in one of the papers that I- Because my read of it says that it's inconclusive. It's just inconclusive. We don't know. And as a matter of fact, they kind of say, this seems to be kind of a mystery because we would expect masks to work better than they do. But every time we put them in clinical trials, there's uh, the, the effect is not statistically significant. And some of the studies even show an adverse effect inside the study. I'll have to circle back to the um, study that says that mass should be a last resort. Um, but just for now, uh, trying to address what I can, uh, this study, uh, what you brought up uh, is, yeah, a study I sent to you and it's what I included in this little PowerPoint presentation. But the reason I sent it to you is, uh, if you see what I highlighted, is because I thought this was a good example of how complicated the literature can be. So this is looking at the use of non-pharmaceutical in intervention in 
reducing the transmission of influenza. And they say that common issues in all these studies were that protective effects of each individual intervention were difficult to discern, including hand washing, including um, you know, the other uh, non-pharmaceutical interventions that were studied in this uh, analysis, in this meta-analysis uh, or systematic review rather. <clears throat> um, they're saying that uh, adherence to face mask use in particular is poorly described as an indicating ability to demonstrate significant change through small numbers. So they're saying adherence to face mask use is a problem in a lot of these studies. It's hard to control for that as we have already talked about. So I thought that was a good example of, uh, of that. But if you, a you know, good start example, to go- A good example of what, Dan? Cause I read that differently than you do. Oh, it's a, it's a good example of how hard it is to study in the community setting and why, you know, why, you know, a surface dive into the literature might give the wrong impression. Right. But, and I guess I take that one step further and say, there's two ways to read that. One is to, way to read it is to say, gee, if people would just wear their masks, we probably would have gotten better results. And I would say that study doesn't say that. That study just says what it says. It says it's difficult to control for it, like you said. And the, the point that I would again bring up, and maybe you want to comment it, maybe you don't, is that if this science had reached the point where there seemed to be a significant health benefit from mask wearing, and we were seriously contemplating in a kind of public health policy way whether or not mask wearing was a good idea, the first thing we'd do is look at the adverse, potential adverse effects of mask wearing. We don't have any science on that. And the reason we don't have any science on that, we do now. People are saying there's reduced oxygen flow. They're saying that in some cases, maybe even the masks contribute to contracting various respiratory diseases because bacteria and viruses can concentrate in the masks. None of that science is studied and there still needs to be a lot more done. But all the science that we're reviewing here is really on one side of the equation. And that is, can we show that masks work? If we were really going to be fair from a policymaking standpoint, we'd balance that with a whole bunch of science on whether or, whether or not masks might be harmful. Do, would, would you uh, agree with that or no? Sure, yeah. And I think the research is there um, for that. But just to, um, just to, you know, continue on, uh, extend from that uh, review that we just talked about. Um, you know, liter one important thing to do uh, in science is to look at the literature as a whole. You know, one paper, even if it's a review, doesn't necessarily represent the entire body of literature. So you have to uh, go from study to study and see if their conclusions are consistent, right? Reproducibility is important in science. And so here's just a one meta-analysis uh, that ends up concluding that face mask use demonstrated mixed results as we explained, as we just went over for various reasons, but a randomized controlled trial suggests that it is effective. And that randomized controlled trial is referenced in, in this paper. And there are a couple other randomized controlled trials that uh, I've sent to you and pulled up here, where uh, again, it's looking at influenza, not necessarily coronaviruses, 
but face masks were found in these clustered randomized controlled trials to be effective in reducing the uh, illness, especially again, you know, we see this 36 hour after symptom onset number come up. Timing is important uh, when you implement mask wearing. Uh, so there are data to show that um, mask wearing is effective in controlled community settings. Uh, here's another one. And um, I included this one just to say that the liter one other point in the literature is that not mask wearing, but um, other interventions in addition to mask wearing is even better than mask wearing alone. You know, we, we, we say that mask wearing is not 100% effective. You know, if that were true, then we could just wear masks and that would be the only thing we change in our lives. But that's not what's been happening. You know, we have, we, we get recommended mask wearing and social distancing and hand washing. And, you know, we get, we hear about proper ventilation and et cetera, et cetera. It's because all combining all of these tactics together will give us a better chance at uh, eliminating or just reducing. We don't, we don't, we don't know that. <laughs> How can you say that, Dan? How, we're, we're just looking at, we're reading the same study here. Overall direct evidence of the effect of efficacy of mask use is supportive, but inconclusive. Well, again, I don't, I don't know. It's supportive in the sense of laboratory work and it's supportive in the sense of some randomized control trials that you can show, but it is inconclusive, which is ultimately the answer. Just to follow that point a little bit, I think it's unfair to say that inconclusive means we have no idea. You know, inconclusive means we need better data and we should get better data, but the data that we have is supportive. So when we're dealing with a pandemic that is rapidly spinning out of control, we want to use the tools that we have available to us and evidence is supportive of mask wearing. So why should we not use those tools? And you know, you bring up adverse effects due to masks. We can talk about that, but um, you can um, bring up what you were gonna bring up. I, I don't wanna just keep spinning on the same points. We might do that a little bit, but we're getting to the point that we kind of started at is the interface between science and policymaking. And the first thing that I'd say is that interface should be incredibly transparent and the means by which uh, mandates of this type, unprecedented mandates are instituted should be clear in terms of why, how, and for how long they're being implemented. None of that was done. The science, in my opinion, in no, in no way would support mandatory uh, mandates with masks. This could easily be done with uh, recommendations, medical recommendations. Get your phony baloney board of, you know, white lab coated guys up there and have one say one thing and one say another and let people decide. Uh, there's all sorts of ways to do this. And then the other thing is we have to hear all the voices like we started. We're banning people. We're banning scientists from this discussion. And there's no arguing about that. You can just go and find them. That is unprecedented. And it's all done under, and that's the point I wanted to make. It's all done under a very, very shaky scientific idea. And that is 
Well, the severity of the health crisis demanded it. It doesn't work like that. You can't amplify inconclusive and get conclusive out of it because it's really dangerous. It doesn't work that way. Either you have statistically significant results and you can roll them out and get more, or you don't and you have to sit back and do more of the hard legwork in research and come up with a solution. I guess I would just say, you know, um, we might be in a semantics battle, but you know, one thing that I think a lot of people have a problem with um, when it comes to information during this pandemic is that the science might seem shaky and that they use language like may or, you know, inconclusive. But if you look at the, the data, the data itself, um, the data do show that masks are effective and the inconclusive and the may, that language comes from this desire of scientists to say like, you know, this evidence could be stronger. We could do stronger tests because the ultimate test to do in this situation is a randomized control trial. And there aren't a lot of randomized control trials when it comes to mask wearing because we haven't had many opportunities to do, to do a kind of study like that. And it's uh, difficult to do, you know? Um, there's also the ethical question of, do you, in the pandemic, uh, do you assign people to a group where they don't wear masks and possibly put them at more risk? Um, but I guess, yeah, my point is just, it's, it's not as uncertain as, um, you know, the language might make it seem to be. Uh, because That's, I just completely disagree with that because okay. the language of science is numbers. And particularly exactly. in these kind of and, it's statistics. Yeah. And mm -hmm. either the statistics reach a level of statistical significance or they can't. There's no, it comes close. It comes close in this study. It doesn't come close in this study. I mean, and that's the, the reason that we do meta-analysis. If I could just point out, you know, we do have um, statistically significant results saying that masks are effective. You know, we, so for example, in this, um, let's see, analyzing households, blah, 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 uh, significantly lower. So comparing the mask only group to mask and hygiene group, uh, the secondary infection was significantly lower compared right. to the control group in both the mask and mask hand washing group. I mean, that's, right. there's statistical significance there. Um, you know, you can find statistically significant results in several studies. It's not just, we're totally uncertain and we're pulling this out of nowhere. And now, now we just hope it works. You know, there's a lot of reason behind this, um, including all the way from laboratory studies, all to community settings, all that, all those experiments, there are data in every category there. It's not perfect data. We could have more data, but the data that we have suggests that it works. Well, okay, so we can just kind of disagree on that. The study you were just pulling up actually had uh, 80 participants in that study. That wouldn't be like a super strong study. And you acknowledge that. And I guess I would go back, you know, I mean, we got to just be kind of share it all out there. And here's, here's Denny again. And you pulled apart one of his research 
studies that he cited, but really over and over again, there's, there's case study after case study, and he actually has the quotes. None of these studies reviewed show a benefit of wearing a mask in community members' households. Tables one and two, they're in, and I've looked at those. Uh, there are 17 eligible studies. None of the studies established a conclusive relationship between mask, respirator use, protect, uh, and protection influence, influence infection. So it's not like uh, this guy in here with Smith in 2016, we identified six clinical studies in the meta-analysis of them. We found no significant difference between uh, masks and the risk of laboratory confirmed infection. So you know, it's not like the people on the other side of this are making this stuff up. They're citing science the same way that you're citing it. And the conclusion that, that you come to is not supported by the conclusion that the CDC eventually came to. So like I say, in last year's Super Bowl, when the Chiefs won, no one was wearing masks. So all this research that we're talking about was available. And they could have implemented or strongly recommended, it's not even a mandate, they could have strongly recommended at that point that during flu season, everyone wear a mask. They could have recommended at the Super Bowl that if you're in the at-risk group, you should wear a mask. None of that was done. That speaks to where the CDC, and not like the CDC or the World Health Organization is the be all end all, but that speaks to the state of the science. I don't know why we can't find agreement on that because I think that's, we all lived through it. There was no recommendation for mask wearing at that time. Yeah, I, I would think that's more of a cultural thing than a science thing, honestly. There are different. Well, then, then, then great, then great. Then you're saying <laughs> that the change that we've had is a cultural thing. And I would oh, agree, no. it should be oh, a no, science I... thing and it's not, it's a cultural thing. There's no big massive wave of science that came out in 2020 that turned things the other way. It's a cultural thing. It's a political well, no, thing. It's a psyop. No, I'm saying that I think the reason masks weren't pushed, hardly recommended uh, is a cultural thing. You know, There are other nations that have always worn masks that a mask wearing has always been a strong part of their culture. And in America, it just hasn't. And that's not necessarily a reflection of the science in my opinion, but I'd like to just go hop over to, uh, back to uh, Dennis's list here. Um, I have some of his papers pulled up. We already went over that one, but uh, yeah. So the use of face masks, uh, respirators to prevent transmission of influenza, he, had this on his list and he had this to say about it that uh, he picked out that there were 17 eligible studies. None of the studies established a conclusive relationship between mask slash respirator use and protection against influenza infection. But in the study, if you read it, it says that none of the studies can establish a conclusive link, but some evidence does suggest that mask use is best undertaken as part of a package of personal protection and that uh, mask use is, the success of mask use is likely linked to its early and consistent and correct usage. Because in this study, they did control for factors such as like, did healthcare workers wear their masks their, their entire shift or did they not? And when they found that, when they looked at that and saw that mass, uh, healthcare workers who wore their masks their entire shift did have a statistically significant uh, lower uh, outcome 
lower disease outcome. Uh, that is what they're reporting in here. They're saying that it's likely linked to consistent and correct usage. But um, moving on to his other studies. Can sure, I interject sure. something there? Your, your point is well taken to a certain extent, but if this science part of this discussion can be useful to anyone, one of the things that I know about these kind of studies is a lot of times they feel it necessary to report on their speculation about what their study might be, but it really isn't within the game to kind of change the goalposts during it, right? So if you don't go into the study initially and say, okay, we're gonna control for how long they use it and wear it during the study, then you can't really at the end of the day say, hey, we did notice this little statistical difference and we should pursue it further. I'm not saying that that isn't a potentially important uh, conclusion or an important point that needs to be studied further and controlled further. But I, I don't think Denny, on the other hand, is really misrepresenting the science when the scientists say, hey, we have a speculation that it might fall this way or that way. But what we found was not statistically significant. Well, again, th there are statistically significant findings, but- Yeah, yeah, but we're in, talking in, about in, this study. I mean, yes, So, you, but we're talking about this study, right? Sure, and inconclusive findings does not mean statistically insignificant. It's just right, it just means but it that... doesn't mean that it is significant, and it doesn't mean that if you didn't control for it a different way, or if you didn't look at the adverse effects, it would counterbalance it. So this is a good discussion because it's how where we keep coming back to science is complicated, and therefore my conclusion is policy making should be equally complex, complicated, and in particular transparent and. Uh, that's where I come down. Sure. And, but so if we look at, um, you know, other, the other papers on Dennis's uh, list. So this study is comparing N95 masks to surgical masks. And uh, what he ends up saying is that um, there's no significant difference between them. Uh, and he goes on later to say that if masks do work, then you would expect N95s to work better than surgical masks, uh, but that's really a misleading claim. Uh, I, it's, it's not necessarily going to be that way because uh, you know, if, if a mask is, masks aren't 100% effective, masks are going to block most of the viral particles that come out of someone's nose and mouth, but you aren't necessarily going to see a difference between N95 and surgical masks in every uh, situation, especially when it comes to influenza, which spreads through aerosols um, more readily than uh, certain other viruses. So that is a great point, but that really kind of goes back to my point. I'm gonna ask Denny about that. I don't know him really well. I mean, I just had a couple email exchanges with him and I read mm -hmm. his paper, but I'm gonna ask him about that because your point in this case is the point I keep making, is we can't make inferences that propel us beyond the known science. So if you're saying, if the study is comparing N95 and, uh, and masks, then you can't extrapolate and say, oh, well, then that means this for that. Well, I I'm saying the same thing. If you have a study and it is ultimately inconclusive and not statistically significant, you can't say, oh, gee, or it's really close, or since this virus is really, really bad, we should jump on board anyway. Did you have any kind of concluding kind of thoughts or remarks on this? I would say that 
when it comes to mask use, you know, there are general principles that we can pull from the literature. And we know from a laboratory setting that face masks reduce the number of infectious viral particles that escape from the nose and mouth into the environment. That is perfectly logical. We can all, we can all see that if someone is wearing a mask and they sneeze or cough, that they're not going to expel as many snot, uh, saliva, et cetera, particles from their nose and mouth that could potentially be carrying viruses. That logic holds, right? So in a laboratory setting, this is demonstrable with uh, coronaviruses. We can see that when someone's not wearing a mask, they expel uh, plenty of uh, viral particles and uh, included in droplets and aerosols, but when someone wears a mask, that number drops to almost zero. Uh, that's repeatable in several studies where masks block a really, really high percentages of viral particles from coming out of someone's mouth and nose. Repeatable, repeatable, repeatable. And then when we carry this over to- Okay, but Dan, I the, have to interject. I know you're making sure, a yeah. remark, but I kind of nailed that. I mean, who cares? That doesn't, just, we get, and, and the fact that it gets repeated over and over again, like you just did with some kind of mantra mesmerizing thing, it's science bullshit. It doesn't have anything to do with answering the question, am I safer wearing a mask? It doesn't answer that because it doesn't relate to how I'm using, how it works with other humans. It's just, it's science bullshit. Well, I would disagree. I think it's a really important part of the puzzle. You know, you, like we said at the beginning, it's important to see whether or not something works in a lab setting. And that's usually the first thing that scientists do before going and testing it further with more But no one had any people. doubt whether it would work. It's home ice. No one had any doubt that if I put, if I do that, it, it does the same thing. If I cover my mouth when I cough, stuff doesn't come out. To elevate it to this level of advanced, refined science, to say that if you cover somebody's mouth, they, stuff doesn't come out of it when they sneeze, is a total head fake bullshit way of kind of wrapping all this nonsense in science. The, the conclusion is it was inconclusive. The conclusion is at last year's Super Bowl, when the Chiefs won, no one had to wear a mask because no one was told to wear a mask because that's what the best science said. And there hasn't been a wave of science that would change that. I, I disagree. Um, so hmm, let's see. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's an important point to still make that masks actually physically stop viral particles from coming out of your nose and mouth. Because part of what we've seen, you know, quote unquote experts say is uh, what I've encountered in making my videos is this weird analogy that wearing a mask is like trying to keep mosquitoes out with a fence. And that's not the case. And we can demonstrate that in the lab. So it's important to, what I want to convey here is that this, these lab experiments are an important step, an important piece of the puzzle to make a proof of concept, a proof of principle, right? That viral particles can be blocked from your nose and mouth if you put a mask over your face. Therefore, it's not really much of a leap to say, okay, if we have a community of people who are blocking viral particles from coming out of their nose and mouth, we have a you know grocery store full of people who, instead of sneezing into the open air, they're sneezing into their masks, they're talking into their masks, coughing into their masks. It's not a leap of logic to say, 
that there are going to be fewer viral particles out in the environment that the rest of the community can encounter and thus spread the virus. So if we test that assumption, right? So science is all about continuing to test. If we test that in a community setting with, or a clinical setting with healthcare workers, we can consistently find statistically significant, albeit incomplete evidence that face masks are effective, that that principle carries over to the community and the clinic. So we can see that throughout the literature. We can see that throughout, um, you know, trends that have happened throughout the pandemic where communities or countries that implement mask mandates early, uh, they are associated with better outcomes. Of course, this doesn't take into account what other, what other tactics the countries um, implemented. But again, that's hard to study perfectly in a complicated chaotic pandemic. There's also evidence that contradicts that. There's countries, counties, and states that didn't have mask mandates or had less restrictive mask mandates that do not show a statistically significant difference in incidents of COVID-19. So I, I, I'm really, I, I was with you, just letting you kind of do your spiel there at sure. the end, but this is kind of very deceptive. It, it, talk about cherry picking. We just do not have a handle on what that would mean. And maybe in a year we will, if the data really comes out, but the, the indications are, the indications in terms of events too, in terms of large gatherings, you know, when Notre Dame wins the big football game against Clemson and 30,000 non-mask wearing kids uh, storm the field and there's no big outbreak afterwards. You know, we have these anecdotal accounts that, that kind of support a counter conclusion. So I like where we were at before. I just don't like this. If you give me back the screen, let's uh, wrap this up because you've really been a tremendous guest. And I mean that. I'll tell you folks, I can't tell you the number of times I've tried to engage with super smart, well-qualified people that have a different opinion than I do on this, and they just won't engage. And with Dr. Dan Wilson, we had full engagement, full addressing the issues. We didn't have to agree, and he didn't seek, for, seek agreement. He just kind of laid out his case in a very strong, compelling way. And uh, I really, really honor and respect that. So Dan, uh, tell folks what you're working on, because I know your interest goes beyond just COVID-19, even though I could understand how you're sucked into that vortex. So where, where do you plan to go with this science uh, education enlightenment kind of project of yours? Sure, yeah. And I just want to thank you for having me on as a guest, uh, first and foremost. So I, I appreciate the conversation and the willingness to uh, engage. Um, I think that's, of course, really important. Um, what I'm working on now, I mean, well, um, well, I earned my PhD last year and have since started a new job and my hobbies, I'm continuing to just cover what I, whatever I really feel like with my YouTube channel. Um, uh, honestly, the list is still dominated by COVID related topics, but I'm interested in all sorts of things. Um, you know, um, let's see, I have, a one of my videos on my channel, I, uh, talked about a book by Bruce Lipton, Spontaneous, Spontaneous Evolution. So that realm of um, 
and in my opinion, pseudoscience is always on my radar. Um, things that have to do with uh, anti-vaxxers, of course, we mentioned RFK Jr. at the beginning of this, he's on the horizon. Um, I covered a lot of Dell Bigtree back in the early months of my channel, um, and that'll probably come back. <laughs> but I'm going to stay in the realm of, um, you know, vaccine science, um, evolution science. Uh, let's see, cancer cures as part of the Bruce Lipton book I just showed. Um, all that content is stuff that interests me and what I'll probably be covering at some point in my channel. I only make one video a week, so I can only cover so much. <laughs> I hear you. I've gotten sucked into doing more. I used to do one every two weeks. But anyways, uh, fantastic. Would love to talk to you again at some point. Sure. The Bruce Lipton stuff is uh, primarily interesting to me from a consciousness perspective. I believe that uh, most biologists are completely misinformed about basic science, like the double slit experiment and its implications for consciousness and for the observer effect, which is fundamentally what Bruce Lipton is kind of reaching for. And I particularly like point out the Six Sigma result that was consistently got by Dean Ray, Dr. Dean Radin, replicated in multiple laboratories, uh, not only replicated in his laboratory, but laboratories around the world. It's a science that most people who are uh, uninformed about consciousness kind of skate around completely. But if you get there, if you get to that point, and if you want to talk about it, I'd love to, because you're really a great guest. And I really admire your, your intellectual chops. You're a smart guy. And it's been great having you on. Thanks again, Dan. Hey, thanks a lot, Alex. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Dr. Dan Wilson for joining me today on Skeptico. I don't know if we're going to have much discussion on this or not, but if we do, I guess I'd like to focus on why no one seems to care about the science by edict part of this. I mean, to me, it's the worst possible outcome of where science could lead. Oh, oh, oh. see the bright side. I know there's a bright side in there someplace. Let me know your thoughts. Skeptico Forum. Got some good shows coming up. Stay with me for all of that. Until next time, take care and bye for now. <laughs>